KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, March 10th. This year's State of the State address one year into the pandemic. We'll have more on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego will stay in the most restrictive purple tier of the state's COVID-19 system, but there is still a chance we could see the less restrictive red tier by the end of the month. We need to drop below seven new cases per 100,000 people and stay at that rate for two weeks to get into the red tier. Right now, we're at 8.8. Meanwhile, the Del Mar Fairgrounds vaccination superstation is shutting down again this weekend, Friday through Sunday, due to a vaccine supply shortage. Appointments will automatically be rescheduled scheduled through their online system. City of San Diego officials are expecting around $300 million in relief funding as part of the next federal COVID-19 relief package. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria says the money will be used to preserve jobs and keep essential services running that have been stretched thin, like trash pickup. It seems much more likely that we will not have to close a $150, $200 million budget deficit, but instead we'll be able to look at preserving services during this recession and potentially providing additional relief. A winter storm system is passing through San Diego. It started last night and it's expected to continue through Friday. Widespread rain and thunderstorms are expected along most of the region with snowfall in the mountains. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. California Governor Gavin Newsom struck an optimistic tone in his State of the State address last night. Cap Radio's Scott Rod has this recap. Newsom's speech primarily focused on the state's pandemic response and the progress made since last March. You know, it was a year ago, a year ago that we made that incredibly difficult decision to issue that stay-at-home order to slow the spread. You know, we agonized about it. We agonized about the sacrifices that it would require. But we made sure that science, not politics, drove our decisions. Newsom delivered the address at an empty Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, one of California's mass vaccination sites. He hinted that the state could return to a sense of normalcy soon. Today, the light at the end of this tunnel is brighter than ever. The address lasted less than 30 minutes, significantly shorter than his previous ones. He also touched on economic inequality, housing, and education. While Newsom alluded to the mounting campaign to remove him from office, he did not say the word recall. And that was Cap Radio's Scott Rod. And now for a quick fact check on Newsom's speech. Here's Cap Radio's PolitiFact California reporter, Chris Nichols. Here's what Newsom said in his speech. California's death rate has remained one of the lowest per capita in the nation, 134 deaths per 100,000 compared to 158 nationally, 153 in Texas. 
The governor is exaggerating. California does have a slightly better rate than the nation and somewhat better than Texas, but California's rate is only middle of the pack, 23rd lowest out of 50 states, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Some individual counties, such as Los Angeles and Imperial, continue to have a much higher death rate than the nation's average. Newsom also made this claim. And we were the first to launch these mass vaccination sites in partnership with FEMA. This is correct. The Biden administration partnered with California to open the nation's first two mass vaccination sites in mid-February. They're located at Cal State Los Angeles and at the Oakland Coliseum. A third FEMA site planned for the Central Valley has yet to open. Finally, Newsom also made this statement. Today we have the most robust vaccination program in the country. Looking at the raw numbers, California has administered nearly 11 million doses, more than any state and more than most countries. But when it comes to vaccine rollout, California has been one of the slowest states. That's according to Bloomberg's vaccine tracking website. And that was Cap Radio's PolitiFact California reporter Chris Nichols in Sacramento. Yesterday, we reported on a drop in the overall crime rates in San Diego County. But violent crime has gone up in a number of big cities across the country during the pandemic. KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser says that's been true in San Diego County cities as well. The city of San Diego saw a 1.7 percent increase in violent crime in the last year. Murders ticked up by five and aggravated assaults rose by about 300. Robberies and rapes were down. The numbers were presented to the San Diego City Council. Police said overall crimes are down 8 percent, mostly because thefts and burglaries are down. During the presentation, Adina Wadi, a resident of San Diego City Council District 3, said the decrease in crimes citywide should be taken into consideration when determining the next police budget. So I hope that as you go into this budget cycle, you continue to think about what kind of things we can do to prevent crime that does not involve adding more officers on the streets. Those comments were echoed by Councilman Sean Elo Rivera, who represents areas such as City Heights. He said he would like to see more investment in childhood programs that can help prevent crime in the long term. Holistically thinking about taking care of our community, of loving our community, providing opportunity and hope um, will make a, 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 a safer community here in San Diego for everyone and hope that we can lean into those efforts uh, just as much as the more direct ways that we deal with uh, interrupting uh, criminal activity. Other cities in the county experienced similar trends according to crime records obtained by KPBS. Violent crimes increased by between 1 percent and 50 percent from 2019 to 2020 in Oceanside, Chula Vista, Coronado, Escondido, and La Mesa, with every city except Coronado seeing an increase in murders. Coronado had no murders in either 2019 or 2020. Violent crime was down in Carlsbad by 7 percent and National City by 4 percent. The other cities have not yet provided records to KPBS. Claire Tregesser, KPBS News. And that was KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser. (music) 
About a year ago when the pandemic hit, many home-based child care providers saw their businesses fall apart overnight. But in City Heights, a coalition of local organizations has helped child care providers stay in business and in some cases thrive. KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler reports. Last March, Somali immigrant Safio Jama saw her home-based child care business in City Heights fall apart. When the pandemic hit, children were kept home. Their parents couldn't pay for care anymore, and JAMA's own revenue dropped precipitously. The year ago, pandemic when it started, it was it hit us, especially me. It hit me hard. I lost a lot of kids, a lot of families who couldn't keep their jobs. That's when a coalition of local groups, including the Horn of Africa, the Chicano Federation, the International Rescue Committee, the YMCA, and SDSU, stepped up. They launched a pilot program meant to keep these vital local institutions alive during a time when many essential workers in this immigrant neighborhood still had to go into work. Abdulrahman Ibrahim, the senior child care program coordinator at the International Rescue Committee, explains the pilot program was not only meant to help support the businesses financially, but with other support like marketing and bookkeeping. The life line for our uh, underserved communities. Between March and July 2020, more than 9,300 licensed child care providers went out of business in California, with home-based child care providers, like Safio Jamas, representing 80% of those closures. But none of the 15 businesses that reopened to children last spring and took part in the 12-week training program had to close their doors. Some even increased their revenues and enrollment from before the pandemic. Safio Jama now has a waiting list. She thinks the most valuable assistance she received was finding ways to connect with the larger immigrant community and being made aware of funding opportunities for immigrant child care providers. Uh, they sent us, email us, let us know what is coming our way, where we can apply, how we can uh, uh, make big our business, all the grants coming up. And that reporting from KPBS's Max Rivlin-Nadler. The San Diego City Council voted on Tuesday to create a climate equity fund. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says it's meant to lift up disadvantaged communities. Climate change is already disproportionately impacting low-income communities of color, which often suffer from extreme heat and poor air quality. They also tend to lack parks, safe streets, and other amenities that make neighborhoods more livable in a warming planet. The new Climate Equity Fund would dedicate a portion of the city's tax and fee revenues to make up for those deficits. Councilmember Vivian Moreno proposed the fund. The lack of investment by the city of San Diego has had a domino effect in other public and private investments within these areas, including insufficient access to goods and services. The city will use environmental, health, and economic data to determine which neighborhoods can receive money from the fund. That was KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. The first class of female Marine recruits on the West Coast is under isolation after one recruit was exposed to the coronavirus. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says their training continues. The first female platoon of Marine recruits at San Diego is isolated for two weeks after one recruit tested positive Sunday for COVID-19. 
says their commander, Ashley Sands. It's not disappointing, I guess. We're, we're used to uh, things like this happening where the recruits occasionally will test positive for COVID and we're, we're required to just adjust fire and make sure that we conduct all the tra- training necessary for them. Still, this is not the first case of COVID among West Coast recruits. At the moment, recruits aren't receiving the vaccine. Tuesday, the recruits of Lima Company navigated the confidence course and pool exercises. Lima Company is in week four of the 13 weeks it takes to become a U.S. Marine. And that was KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. Coming up, next week the San Diego Repertory Theater launches its new Black Voices 2021 play reading series. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Next week, the San Diego Rep launches its new Black Voices 2021 play reading series. It consists of a selection of plays representing a diverse range of Black voices with post-show discussions after each play. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando speaks with playwright Vincent Terrell Durham, whose play Polar Bears, Black Boys, and Prairie Fringed Orchids kicks off the series. Vincent, you're part of the San Diego Rep's Black Voices 2021 play reading series, and your play has the interesting title of Polar Bears, Black Boys, and Prairie Fringed Orchids. So give us a little insight into what this is about. I like to describe it as my God of Carnage play. I wanted to write a play that got people into into a room and they had conversations, and those conversations just spiral all over the place personalities come out, frictions happen, alliances happen. So that's really where the play generated from in my heart was God of Carnage. I just love that play. And plus it was a a play that I thought was timely. It tackles gentrification, racial identity, Black Lives Matter, a whole bunch of topics. And so you can see like, you know, if you get all these people in that room talking about these things, you're going to have a lot of interesting things happening on stage. So when you were contemplating what characters you wanted in this, what was the process you went through in terms of determining what that mix of people was going to be? Sure. um, I wish I had an answer for that, truly. But like when I sit down and things are going well as a writer, these people just come into my head. But um, really, it kind of starts with the dialogue. When I get two people talking, then that starts to create the characters. So the play really started with uh, Molly and Peter, a um, Caucasian couple who gentrify Harlem or who move into Harlem. (laughs) And, you know, just from that, I wanted to see, okay, what characters can I introduce to make them react in a certain way? So once I had those two characters talking to each other, uh, flushing out their personalities, then I got to add other people. And that's where, you know, Shamika came in and Tom and Jaquan. So all of these people who would challenge each other's personalities. 
And Vincent, since I can't play a clip or a scene from your play, I was wondering if you could just read a little something. Okay. This is later in the play, and I don't think it's given away too much of the play, but it's Jaquan. I think this line expresses a lot about what I'm trying to say. It's not the only thing I'm trying to say, but I think it's, it's, it's something that I, I really cherish. So this is Jaquan's line. All it should take to protect us is to see our humanity, even in our worst moments, the same humanity they still saw in the eyes of a white boy who had just killed nine people after walking into their church and praying with them. You're telling me they can only see my humanity if I'm listed next to a Bengal tiger? So that's a little tease and yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you, Beth. I like that. And talk a little bit about the process and the evolution of the play, because, you know, people go to see a play and it's just there and it's done and <laughs> you don't have the sense of how much work goes into it. And also the part that theater companies can play in helping you to evolve a work like this. A absolutely. Yeah, there's there's so many people behind me right now that have helped this play because, you know, the 10 minute play started at Playground L.A., it's an incubator for playwrights. And it's the first time we bring in a 10 minute piece. It's a stage reading. So it's the first time you get to hear that. And I was lucky and grateful to receive a commission. And so then throughout the commission process, I was receiving support through the person, uh, Planet Earth Arts, I should be specific. They uh, gave me the uh, commission. And you know, during that whole process of me writing the play, they kept in touch with me. They set up a table read, set up a second table read. So you can keep hearing all of these drafts. You know, I can't tell you which draft I'm on at this point. And even for San Diego, I've been back at the piece and rewriting and tightening it up. So it is a process. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of people behind me. I should be um, uh, a little shout out to, uh, to Jim Kleinman and Eldo Billingsley because it was their uh, Juneteenth project that really brought this play to uh, the attention of a lot of people and San Diego rep as well. It, it brought it to their attention and I'm grateful for that. And it's very different for a playwright versus somebody who's like writing a novel where you're writing something strictly for somebody to read off the page. But for a playwright, what is that like when you hear those words spoken for the first time and find out kind of like how they bounce off the walls and, and really sound when they're spoken? Right. I love that question because I, I've been taking the master classes and uh, Aaron Sorkin was one of the master classes I've taken recently. And he says that, you know, a play is not meant to be read. It's meant to be performed. And like when he said that, it was like, wow, yes, that's so true. The first time you hear your words is like, it's either uh, amazing or terrifying. You know, <laughs> it really, it really is because like, I can tell you, um, not, not really this play, but I'll go back to the very first play I ever wrote. It really was a moment of me being vulnerable. You know, the very first stage reading I had, I didn't know if I could write a play. I had all these people waiting to see if I could write a play. And then when I had the actors jump into it and they started reading those words, and when it was all over, I was like, oh, okay, I do know what I'm doing. You know, I, I haven't been in my room just scribbling on the laptop. I actually wrote a play. So it's, it's, it's a lot of confirmation and sometimes it's a little pain. <laughs> and talk about the tone of your play because you are able to mix 
very serious issues, but you also have a sense of humor to this. This is very entertaining, and there are moments of comedy in kind of these moments of realization also. Sure. I think um, when you ask people to come into a theater and sit 90 minutes, you have to uh, respect their time, and you have to respect their their sensibility as well. So like, I didn't want people to come into a play and just be hit hard with things. I wanted them to come in. Actually, I wanted them to come in and feel like they were a part of the cocktail party and have some laughs and relate with some jokes and, and see themselves, you know, and then hit them with the hard stuff, you know? So I, I, I tend to lead with comedy and then hit with that hard stuff. It makes it uh, a spoonful of sugar it makes the medicine go down, they say. And what do you hope people are going to take away from your play? I mean, what is kind of, why did you write this? Like, what was the thing that really motivated you to write this? You know, my I think the biggest thing for me is conversation. I want people to, to leave. There's so many themes, so many um, subjects in this play that I want people to leave the theater talking and, and having an open and honest dialogue saying like, you know what, like when Peter said that, I, I, I say that and I, I don't know what it means, but let's talk about it, you know, or like when this happens, like that, I've, I felt that way, you know, what does that mean? I, I, I think theater is like a, a beautiful place to start conversations and to start healing and to start just discussions, really. Well, I want to thank you very much for talking about your play. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day. That was KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando speaking with playwright Vincent Terrell Durham about polar bears, black boys, and prairie-fringed orchids. It will be presented live online through the San Diego Repertory Theater next Monday at 5.30 p.m. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.